Hello and welcome to Worship from Schweitzer. We are so glad you've joined us today. We've got a, a great time of worship ahead of us. We are continuing our summer sermon series on the Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Today we're going to be talking about revenge and near the end of chapter 5. Uh, Pastor Spencer's got a great sermon for us. It's going to be a great time in worship together today. If, you, if this is your first time worshiping with us, we would love for you to check in. Let us know that you're here. We've got a gift card to Starbucks that we'd love to send you, a digital gift card. Love to send you. You can get some great coffee, maybe some cool coffee, maybe some tea, whatever you like. Just sign up. Let us know you're here. If you've been worshiping with us for a long time, you know that you can go to schweitzer.church next and you can find sermon discussions that go along with today's worship service. That way you can grow deeper in your faith and find all kinds of other ways to connect here at Schweitzer. Schweitzer.church next. Next up is Jen with some announcements about things that are happening this week and on into the future at Schweitzer. Let's listen to Jen. Hi, welcome to Schweitzer. So glad you're here today. It's summertime. I have to give a shout out to my hat ladies who gave me this hat. So thank you so much. I'm ready for summer. I hope you are too. And we have so many things happening around here. I want to tell you about a couple of things coming up on August 4th. One is our second season lunch. We'll have a great time together talking about community, talking about Reading Buddies with Pittman Partnership and what that looks like. Sign up for August 4th, 1130, right here in this space. Also on that same day, we're going to have a community blood drive over in the Fellowship Center from 10 a.m. to 3. We'd love to have as many people as possible come out, donate blood, and help care for our community. These are both great ways you can connect. You can sign up for either one of them at schweitzer.church next or head out to the Blue Booth this morning. Then on Thursday, August 11th, we are having our last blast of summer. This is our kids event, but it's a community event. It's basically, it takes over the whole parking lot. We have bounce houses, music, hot dogs, all the things you want. It's a perfect opportunity to invite your friends, our community, kids you know, parents you know, everybody. We want everybody here. So it's the last blast of summer from 5.30 to 7.30 in the evening. We'll have a great time together. If you're wanting to sign up and be a volunteer for this great community outreach, please let us know. You can learn more and sign up at schweitzer.church next. Then on Sunday, August 21st, we're so excited. We're going to be once again hosting our river baptisms and our picnic out in Ozark at the Findlay River. If you've been thinking about baptism, or you know if your family or your kids, it's something you've been talking about in conversation and you want to continue that conversation, let us know. Talk to one of our staff or our pastors. We would love you to be part of our river baptisms on the 21st. This will also be a great time for us to hang out together as part of a kind of a church picnic style, very casual. So let us know if you're interested by signing up at schweitzer.church next, or again, talk with one of our staff or pastors. And one last thing, this Friday night is our outdoor drive-in movie night. We'll have a huge pop-up screen. You can pull in with your car, watch the movie, listen to it from your car, or bring some seats and sit outside. We'll have a great time. This is a free movie night, perfect opportunity to invite your friends. Uh, we hope our community will also come out. If you're wanting to pre-order your snack packs, just let us know you're coming. We'll even already have your box all ready for you. You can sign up at schweitzer.church kids. And if you want to gather about 7.30 in the evening, We'll kick off the movie around dusk, but plan on arriving about 7.30. Again, thanks again for being here today. Let's continue with worship. Thanks, Jen, for those announcements. If you're worshiping with us live, we invite you to say hello in the chat feature. Reach out to your friends. If you need prayer, there's somebody in the prayer room that would be happy to pray with you. Just click that little button. And now... 
let's enter into worship because the Lord calls us to himself. So let's respond to the Lord and worship together. time of prayer, I invite you to pray with me. Kind Father, with hearts of gratitude, we've gathered together in worship. We've been recipients of your amazing grace. Your love has been on display for all the world through the life and ministry of Jesus, your Son, through the power of the Holy Spirit that's been poured out on people from all cultures and classes, that has created communities of love, joy, and grace and peace. Your grace has transformed hearts and lives. It has set us free from worry about the past or the future. It has given hope when all look to be lost. 
It has breathed new life into places when our breath has been taken away. Your grace enables all its recipients to rest and rejoice when all the world is right and when it could be very different. Your grace comforts us in our sorrows and gladdens us. Your grace challenges us when we want revenge to be people of mercy, when we want security to be people of faith, and when we want to be recognized to be people who are happy serving in the way of Jesus. When our pride betrays us, your grace helps us hear truth, receive truth, live truth. When our attitudes and actions are far from the heart of Jesus, your grace waits for us, calls to us. Shape us by your grace, O God. Renovate us by the tools of your mercy and grace, that we may be vessels of your grace in your world. Help us in praying this in all things, as we learn to pray as Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Joyful giving, generous giving, obedient giving. All those things are, are ways in, that uh, God uses to shape us as disciples of Jesus. And also, He takes all that kind of giving and He does some incredible things with it in His world through the ministry of His church and through your hands and feet. This last week, we are celebrating what took place because of that kind of giving as Somewhere around 120 or 130 guys, and guys, when I say guys, from all ages, gathered in Memorial Hall for the first of, of many men's ministry gatherings that took place here at Schweitzer. It was a fantastic day. We heard from John Ashcroft, former Attorney General of the United States. We're so grateful that we get to hear stories of this from all kinds of generations of guys. So thank you for your giving, faithful joyful, generous giving. You can continue to worship the Lord in this way by going to Schweitzer.church slash give or by using the Church Center app. Thank you once again for your gifts. And now we turn to the concept of revenge from Matthew 5. What does Jesus have to say about our sense of rage, our anger, our, our ideas of revenge? Here's Pastor Spencer. Let's take a listen. Blessed are the meek, the poor in spirit, the peacemakers, the persecuted. Seek God's kingdom, care for widows, love your enemies, turn the other cheek, give, pray, fast. Ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find knock and the door shall be opened.
Well, friends, welcome today. My name is Spencer. I'm so glad that you're here. We're going to be continuing our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. So all summer long, we are reading this incredibly influential and important sermon that Jesus preaches. It's in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, three chapters of the Bible, just a long sermon that he gives uh, that's all about what is life like in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus goes deep into this question of, of, of how do you live this life in the kingdom of God. And, and some of the things that we've seen so far, one, uh, the sermon opened and we, we learned that life in the kingdom of God is for absolutely everyone. Everyone is invited to come and experience the life that God has for them, the life in the kingdom. And, and so Jesus started off with the Beatitudes, the, these blessings, these invitations to the poor in spirit, the meek, those who mourn. Um, everyone is invited to come and experience life in the kingdom of God. And then as we've been working through this the last few weeks, we've been seeing that life in the kingdom of God is all about our hearts. That, that God is not so much interested in just our outward religion. He's not just interested in our outward behavior. He really wants us to, to live deeply in Him, in, in our hearts. And when we say our hearts, we mean our, our ambition, our drive, our will, our, our emotions, what we think about. What is life like on the inside? Because life in the kingdom of God is lived inside out, where where we are changed on the inside to live in a new kind of life. And so we've been tracking with Jesus over the last few weeks as, as he's gone into this section where he gets really practical about this. He gives examples of what life is like in the kingdom of God. And to do this, uh, he, he looks at Old Testament commandments, which are all about the outward religious behavior. But then he, he flips it. He goes, he goes deeper on these commandments to tell us really about our hearts and what it is that God wants to do deep inside of us to, to change our lives. And so, for instance, we started off, Jesus talked about do not, uh, do not murder, right? Pretty obvious outward behavior. Do not kill people. It's an obvious one. But then Jesus is like, no, no, no. It's more than that. Let's also talk about anger and contempt and reconciliation. Like these are the deeper things that happen in, inside. We talked about adultery and Jesus again. He's like, no, no, no. Let's talk about the deeper thing. Let's talk about lust. And then, and we talked about divorce and marriage. And then we talked about oaths last week with how we use our words. And so, uh, today as we come to this, we're going to come to the last part of this section that Jesus is on. And next week we'll start a new section. But this last part of the section is, is definitely like no question about it. The hardest of the, of the examples that Jesus gives what life is like in the kingdom of God. And to be honest with you, this section is probably one of the hardest passages in the entire Bible. I mean, this is one of those places. I don't know if you have these places in the Bible, but there are places in the Bible that is like, ah, I just, I wish that wasn't in there. <laughs> and this is definitely one of those. I, I just, I just wish that Jesus didn't say this <clears throat> because it's so challenging. And so today what we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about revenge and we're going to talk about love, but not just love. We're going to talk about loving our enemies. Because every single one of us have people who have hurt us, have offended us, neglected us, abused us, people who have, who have, who have uh, gossiped about us and, and hurt us with their words. I mean, all kinds of ways that we have experienced this. And, and Jesus is like, okay, kingdom of God life, it also involves them. Those people that, that when you see them coming, you just, you just want to go the other way because you just don't want to be around them. And so what do we do with them? How do we, how do we interact with them? So let's get into this. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 38. Here's what Jesus said. He said, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Now in this section we're in, in the Sermon on the Mount, every one of these examples that Jesus gives starts like this. 
You've heard that it was said, here's the Old Testament commandment, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. And a lot of these uh, so far have been Ten Commandments. Uh, We had do not murder, do not commit adultery. And then we had some that were not of the Ten Commandments. And this is another one of these Old Testament commands that's not in the Ten Commandments. But it's it's not an obscure commandment either. This eye for eye, tooth for tooth, this is a a pretty well-known command that's, that's in the Old Testament. In fact, you find this commandment in three different places. You find it in Exodus, it's in Leviticus, and it's in Deuteronomy. And so if you're sitting on that hill that day and you heard Jesus say, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, like this is not obscure. You would have known what he's talking about. In fact, he expects you to know what he's talking about because he doesn't even give you the whole quote. He just gives you just a couple phrases from the quote because he expects you to know uh, what this commandment is and, and what it is. And so let's let's back up and let's go look at this Old Testament commandment to to understand this bigger perspective because he just doesn't even quote the whole thing. So let's go read what the Old Testament commandment is. We'll go to one of the three places we see this in the Old Testament. We'll go to Exodus chapter 21. And in verse 23, uh, 24 and 25, here's this commandment in context. So here's what it says. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. That's, that's the part that Jesus quotes. And he goes on, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. This is the the whole of the commandment. As you can see, this is about what do you do when someone hurts you? A personal injury. What do do you do in those times when somebody's hurt you? And and what I love about this command, I mean, there's there's so practical and it's helpful in in two, at least two ways. One, as we read through that command, you can see that this command understands that there is a need for justice. When someone has hurt someone, there's, there's a need for justice. There's a, there's a need to make things right between them and between uh, the, the parties that have, that have been hurt. But then the this thing this command does is so helpful, so much wisdom here, is that it, the commandment that it's an eye for eye, tooth for tooth, is like there needs to be an equal justice. As we might say, the punishment has to fit the crime. And so this commandment, it, it stops the cycle of payback. Did you catch that? It's an eye for eye, tooth for tooth, wound for wound, hand for hand, foot for foot. It's like you have your your justice, but you have to stop. You can't just keep seeking more and more and more justice. That's what revenge is. You can't just keep seeking this over and over and over again because honestly, I mean, we both know that's how things really work though. I mean, yeah, maybe there's payback, but was that payback enough? I mean, someone, someone hurts you, and yeah, you want to get even with them. You want there to be payback. You want there to be justice. But, but a lot of times it's not really justice unless you feel like it's just. And that usually happens because you get to do the last, the last thing. You get to have the last word. And if that other person, though, like you, you know, they hurt you, or they say something about you, and then, you know, you say something back to them. You're like, oh, we're even because I had the last word. But then, you know what, they're going to say something back and now you got to go back to that. And it's just like, this is how cycles of revenge begin. This is how families are destroyed, how relationships are destroyed, why people stop talking to each other is that, is that no one ever stops the payback. And that's what that command is about. You've got to stop the payback. It's got to stop somewhere. And so as the, an outward, an outwardly religious person is going to hear this command, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, and they're going to understand, okay, I can't continue to seek revenge. I can't do that. That's, that's not what an outwardly religious person does. But Jesus, again, we know this from the Sermon on the Mount and all these other examples he gives. It's not just about what does an outwardly religious person do, 
life in the kingdom of God is about our hearts. And so what about our hearts? What do our hearts need to be like if we're going to go beyond just not seeking revenge and stopping the payback? What do our hearts need to be like? And so Jesus keeps going. Here's the next verse. Jesus says, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Now with that word evil, think about this in terms of context here. Someone who does evil to you, someone who hurts you, they harm you, they, they speak ill against you, evil against you. You think about somebody who, who has uh, created resentment and, and someone who is who has uh, neglected you, and this comes in all kinds of shapes and sizes. I mean, as we think about this, Pisma does evil against us. Some of us, really all of us, have experienced this. Uh, maybe someone comes to mind for you, an ex-boss, an ex-spouse, uh, someone, a, a relative, someone who's, who's hurt you or harmed you. Maybe it's been through words. Maybe it's been through actual violence, theft. Maybe it's been through abuse or neglect, and there's all kinds of ways that we experience this because this kind of evil against us comes in all kinds of shapes and sizes. And I am sure that as we talk through this, somebody comes to mind for you because if you just live a little bit of life, like you experience this kind of evil against you. And so Jesus says, do not resist an evil person. What does that mean to not resist them? Well, Jesus is gonna give us four practical examples of what this looks like, four examples. The first example here is an insult, a personal insult. And so here's what the first example is. The very next line, Jesus says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Now, this is a slap on the cheek. This is not a hit across the face. This is not about the physical pain of, of being struck. This is about the insult of publicly being slapped in the face. And Jesus says, don't keep the cycle going. Again, here's the next example. The next example is legal. So Jesus says, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, in those days, the people listening on the hillside, they would have had inner shirts, uh, undershirts that they would have worn to sleep in, and that's what he's talking about. So if anyone sues you and wants to take your shirt, hand over your coat or your tunic as well. Your tunic would have been basically your blanket at night for these folks who who would have been listening to Jesus um, on the hill. And so here is this, this line, okay, so you know you want to, you want to go beyond just what it is that they're demanding of you in this, in this legal sense. The next example is military because, and this makes sense, in the, in the first century when this was written, uh, the, the Israelites were, were ruled by the Roman military. And so here's what Jesus says. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. And the Romans had a law that they could commandeer people to come and maybe carry a message for them. Or maybe you were sitting on the side of the road, they're going to they're gonna take you to force you to carry a, maybe a Roman soldier's gear. And that's what this is about. Some of the Romans force you to go one mile, go with them two miles. If you know the Bible really well, you might remember Simon of Cyrene, who's forced to carry the cross of Jesus by the Romans. I mean, this is, this is what he's talking about here, a very real thing that happened in Jesus' day in Israel. And the last example here is about, about very difficult people. And so Jesus says, give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now, as we, as we read through here, we, we see these four examples. We need to understand these four examples that Jesus gives here are hypothetical examples. These are not literal examples. And so 
Jesus, as he's, as he's speaking here, he's doing something that he's done in, in a lot of these other examples that he's given uh, about life in the kingdom of God. And he's also using not just a hypothetical example, he's also speaking a, a bit in hyperbole. So a hyperbole is when you speak in exaggeration in order to make a point. And Jesus has done this in different places in the Sermon on the Mount. Think about when we talked about adultery a few weeks ago. Jesus talked about how it's better to cut off your hand and gouge out your eye than it is to enter into the fires of hell. And you, you hear that and you're like, well, obviously that's hyperbole. Jesus is not serious about cutting off your hand and gouging out your eye, except that he is serious, that you need to take this seriously. And in the same way as Jesus is talking about these kinds of things, he's, he's not giving you specific examples of what to do. He's, he's speaking a bit in hyperbole. I mean, if someone wants to sue you and take your shirt, Jesus isn't like, give him your coat as well. Just go ahead and stand in court naked. That's not, that's not what, he's, what he's really getting at here because otherwise what, what that would do is simply create a new law. And Jesus is driving at something deeper than the law because it's possible for you to stand in court naked because you obeyed this to the letter of the law to go with the Romans for two miles, to, to give away whatever it is that anyone might want from you, and to still have a heart that seeks revenge. Jesus wants to go to something deeper. And so as we see this deeper, as we keep reading here, this next line, Jesus says this, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, part of that is the Old Testament law. Love your neighbor. Jesus actually says that's the second greatest commandment. Matthew 22, the first greatest is to love the Lord your God. The second greatest is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then somewhere, someone added this line, hate your enemy, which is an Old Testament commentary. It's not actually from the Old Testament. The Bible doesn't teach us to hate our enemies. But what the Bible does teach us is that God hates sin. And so someone somewhere twisted this and made an Old Testament command, an Old Testament commentary, I should say, where where if God hates sin, well, we also hate sin, which is also biblical truth, that we, as the people of God, we also want to hate sin. But, but then, therefore, you know, some commentator somewhere said, well, that must mean that I should hate people who sin, my enemies who sin against me. I should hate them. And, and Jesus is like, no, 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 let's set the record straight here. So you've heard it said, love your enemy or, or love, your, love your neighbors and, 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 and hate your enemies. But, but Jesus is like, I want to set the record straight here. And he says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray, listen to this, pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who do you wrong, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? And then we come to verse 48. And if you're reading from your own Bible, you need to underline this. You need to highlight it. You need to write it down. And, and, and you're taking notes and memorize this next verse because it's so incredibly important. And this next verse is the last verse of the section that we've been on about these Old Testament examples. But Jesus wraps all of this up and he says this, Matthew 5, 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now that's the end of the section. So we're going to start up today. We're going to pick this up next week as we start a new section. Now, it should be said that these uh, verses we've read today have, by some throughout history, been interpreted to, to teach what some call Christian passivism, meaning that 
Christians shouldn't serve in the military or Christians should, uh, shouldn't serve as police because of the potential to, to do violence to other people. And so there have been groups, namely like the Quakers, who have emphasized verses like these, especially these verses, but others alongside of them, to emphasize a, a Christian pacifism, that Christians are, are never to, to take any sort of action against other people. And I personally disagree with that kind of reading, at least for, for two reasons. One is as you're reading this in context, this is clearly not a political statement. This is a, a personal statement. But for whatever reason, Christians a lot of times get this confused and we start to take things that are meant to us personally and we apply them politically as if uh, that's a kind of a one-to-one comparison. But I don't personally think that it is. When the Bible talks about us and our hearts changing personally, that doesn't happen through the political process and political statements. It happens when God changes individuals' hearts. And that's what we see that Jesus is interested here. And the second reason it's important to, to kind of lift this up is, is if this is just a political position, like the Quakers might or some other groups might make this to be, then essentially what you have is a new law. And what Jesus is giving us in all of these examples in the Sermon on the Mount is not a new law, but a changed heart. And you see this changed heart so clearly in that last verse, Matthew 5, 48. Once again, Jesus said it like this, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now the word perfect causes some trouble. I mean, it's an unfortunate word that we use there that, that it's perfect. And if you're somebody who struggles with perfectionism, this is definitely going to be a hard verse for you. I mean, if, if you're the kind of person who has to vacuum their house before they leave for work in the morning, this is a hard verse for you because you probably are somebody who feels like you've never done enough. But, but other ways you could translate the same word, um, you could also translate this as, as complete or mature, which are, I think, helpful ways to think about this. Be complete, be mature. But whatever, however it is that you translate it, the idea here is so helpful and something for us to think through. You know, in different places, Jesus talks in hyperbole, cut off your hand, gouge out your eye, go to court naked, go two miles with the Romans, give to anyone who wants to hear it. But as you think about this verse here, be perfect, therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect. Listen, I don't think Jesus meant this as a hyperbole. I think he actually meant this. And, and he actually wanted us to do this. And he's, what he's doing here is he's giving us, he's giving us the target for what spiritual maturity and the spiritual life is like, what Christian discipleship is aiming for. And as you, as you see it here, what we see is that Christian discipleship, it is aiming to be like God. That's what, that's what we're shooting for, is to be like God, but not be like God in just a general sense. If you think about this in context, Jesus is, is calling us to be like God in a very specific way. And what is that way? If you think about the context of what we read today, well, it's to be like God in love. But not just love, the love of our enemies. Because this is what God does. God loves his enemies. Now, as we say that, we've just stumbled upon something quite profound about the nature and character of God, that what is God like? What drives him? What what is his character and his nature like? Well, God loves, but doesn't just love, God loves his enemies. I think about how we read this in Romans chapter 5. Romans 5 reads like this, starting in verse 6. Paul writes, he says, you see at just the right time when we... You and I, followers of Jesus, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. So who did he die for? Jesus died for the ungodly. 
not the righteous, not the blameless, not the faithful, not the people who have their lives together, not the people who have no doubts, not the people who have no sin. No, Jesus died for the ungodly. He died for, for you, and he died certainly for me as an ungodly person. Well, verse 7, we keep reading here, says, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. And then verse 8, listen to this. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let me read that one more time. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Keep reading here, verse 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more have been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, and through him we have now received reconciliation. Did you, did you catch it? While we were his enemies, Christ died for us. While we were far from him, while we were in rebellion to him, he gave himself for us. This is the nature and the character of God. This is what he's like. Now, as you think about this, well, why is life in the kingdom of God about loving my enemies? Well, it's very clear, very simple. The reason why our call is to love our enemies and the reason why Jesus was not speaking in hyperbole when he said to be perfect like your father is perfect who loves his enemies is because our goal, what we are shooting for in the Christian life is to love like the father loves. And the father loves his enemies. And so if you're going to live in his kingdom, we are also called to love our enemies. Now, as we think about this in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, you know, we think about how there is this way of living an outwardly religious life that inwardly can be far from God. As you think about what we read today, that it's possible to live an outwardly religious life where you don't pursue revenge, you know, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, and this is enough, but it's not enough. Because what Jesus is calling us to is not just a life of outward religious behavior. He's, he's calling us to something deeper, to where we actually even love our enemies. This is the aim of the Christian life. This is what Christian discipleship is leading us towards. This is what victory in Christ is all about. This is what Christian maturity looks like, is that we love our enemies. So let's get practical. Who comes to mind today? All of us, all of us have people who have hurt us, offended us, people we've uh, blocked on Facebook and then we see in real life and we're like, oh, I got to interact with them. People, when we see them walking down the, the hall, we just want to go the other way. People who have hurt us, people who have, have spoken ill against us, people who maybe even have physically harmed us. Who's on your mind today? And as a follower of Jesus, what does God want to do in your life that you might love them like the Father loves you. Now, if that sounds impossible, again, let's get practical. How do you do that? Well, Jesus told us. One of the ways he told us to do that in Matthew chapter 5 is he told us this. He said, pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who have harmed you. Pray for those who do evil against you. And so if you want to know where do you start on this, how do you start to 
to live a life where on the inside, on your emotions, on your mind, in your heart, that you begin to love those who have harmed you? How do you begin to live with the love that the Father has for you, for others? Well, it begins with prayer. Pray for those who have harmed you. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those you can't stand. Pray for those who you'd rather never see again. Pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for strength to forgive. Pray for God to heal you of resentment. Pray for God to move in your heart that you no longer feel unforgiveness and bitterness about them. Pray that that good things, even God's blessing might be in their life. Pray for them. And when that old temptation for resentment comes back and you wanna pick up your, your old burdens and hurts, keep praying for them and ask the Lord for forgiveness because this is the aim that we're going for is that we want to love like the Father loves even as the Father loves his enemies. And so listen, all of us have someone on our mind. I know I do. I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to point fingers. But all of us have people in our lives, people that, that we're thinking about, people that we know that what God wants to do in our life is he wants us to love them like he loves us. Because after all, how can I claim to receive the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God if I'm not willing to extend that same love and grace and mercy to others, even my enemies. Let's pray together. And so, Father, today we, um, we first of all just want to do exactly what Jesus said. We want to pray for those who persecute us. There are very specific people that we can think of, we can name, Their face comes to our mind as we think about people who have hurt us and harmed us and people that we'd rather not see, people we don't really want to interact with, people that that, uh, have maybe physically even harmed us, stolen from us, people that we just, God, we just sometimes can't stand them. But Lord, we want to pray for them today. We want to pray blessing. We want to pray your kindness and your salvation over them. And Lord, we also pray for our own hearts that you would begin to transform us as we trust in you that we would love people, even our enemies. Help us to love as we have been loved. We were once your enemies, and yet, how did you treat us? You gave your one and only son that we might have life. And so God, may we love our enemies in this same way, because this is life in the kingdom of God. We love you and we thank you. Thank you for saving us and calling us your sons and daughters. Thank you for bringing us into the kingdom of God that everyone is welcome to. And for anyone who's with us today who doesn't know this love for themselves, may today be a day where they can choose faith, choose to follow Jesus with a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, would you forgive me my sin and would you lead my life? Lord, we love you and thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us in worship today. Hope you have been touched, blessed. Hope the Lord's spoken to you. If you know somebody who would be helped by this this worship experience, we invite you to take a moment and share it with them on social media or in some other form or fashion. May the Lord bless you and bless those around you. A big thank you to all those who helped put this worship experience together, to Jen and to the worship team, to Alec and the production team, to Pastor Spencer for sharing that message from Matthew 5. Next week, we look forward to being with you again in worship. We're going to take a look at Jesus' comments about our praying, our giving, and our fasting, how they can be congruent, and how we can, can experience the fullness of God. I'm Pastor Jason. I look forward to seeing you next week.
Amen. Cloud of witnesses all gather round Cause the ones that 
Thank God that stone. 